Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. Hey there. Welcome to Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Stewart. I'm joined today by the always wonderful Wendy O, Jensen Assey, and Will Foxley. we got a lot to get to on The Hash. We'll get you caught up on what's going on in crypto. And we're going to start off with the IRS. What is going on? Wendy talking about the IRS. Could get spicy. Watch out. I woke up. Zach, I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning. I headed Uh over to Twitter and I saw this story. I was mad. I was so, so mad. So IRS 2022 tax guidelines to treat NFTs as stable coins, cryptocurrencies. As you all know, NFTs are not stable coins, even though we're in a bear market. I think the most interesting piece of this story is the IRS did not classify NFTs as collectibles like art or antiques, which are taxed at a different rate than crypto or stocks. Collectibles are taxed at 28% compared to stocks, bonds, or crypto, which is taxed at 0, 15, and 20%, depending on the seller's total income. There's a lot of problematic information here. And I really think what the IRS did is they says, we don't know what in the F is happening. So we're just going to go ahead and classify NFTs as stable coins to make it easier on themselves, despite them hiring, I think, like 50,000 plus new employees. I do believe that this behavior is problematic because NFTs are not stable coins. And we all know that stable coins are going to be placed under heavy regulation very soon because of the Terra Luna collapse regarding UST. So I am absolutely livid about this because once things are passed, it's very hard to get them appealed. Jen, I want your take on this because I know that you love NFTs just as much as I do. I for sure do. And this is just, it sounds like a mess and a disaster. I wonder if as the IRS iterates on this, we'll start to see one of one NFTs look more like collectibles and the projects that have, you know, 10,000 PFPs look more like digital assets. That's how the European Union is kind of looking at NFTs right now. We saw that in the Mika draft. I think as it stands after reading the story, this is really complicated. How is the IRS going to oversee and govern this? I think about, you know, someone owns jensenassy.eth. It's not me. 
if the IRS were to go and look at the wallet that has jensenassi.eth, are they going to assume that I own the NFTs in that wallet? It sounds like a total disaster. I don't know how people are going to report on this. I don't know how the IRS is going to verify who owns what. I don't think they know how they're going to verify it. So um, I think it's going to be an interesting story to, to follow. Will, what do you think? I don't know. I kind of took this a different way than both of you guys. I think the fact that they move forward with some sort of clarity pretty quickly in terms of how slow the IRS has been historically is notable, right? Took them about two years, a year to get something within their paperwork that goes out to every American every year on NFTs and how to classify them as tax. Uh, I think a lot of people who did their taxes last year would have appreciated this guidance before. And I could see a lot of people having to go back and now redo their taxes because they didn't really understand how NFTs were classified beforehand. And I do think like the market structure of NFTs or for a lot of NFTs does make sense for them to be classified as digital assets. So it's not just like stable coins, but they, they do trade like digital assets, right? They, they have a price floor. There's typically some sort of decks you can trade them on. They're often very liquid or at least like the better marketplaces are. And so there is an element of them being like another digital asset. Yes, to Wendy's point, a lot of these things are more collectibles. They are more artwork. Like if you're going to get something from one of the bigger collectors out there, I think that would probably fall more so into collectibles and that would be taxed under that guidance. But I think to be fair, also that tax guidance is normally pretty strict and often even worse, right? Like inheritance taxes and all those things around uh, selling artwork, that can be even worse than just selling any other good uh, like we see with or with uh, stable coins or cryptocurrencies. So I don't know. I'm a little split on this one. Zach, I want to get your take. Yeah, it's interesting to see the level of specificity here, right? So, you know, they're grouping everything in the digital asset bucket, which sort of indicates some degree of sophistication and how they're going to differentiate within that bucket, I think is a bit of an open question. But, you know, you have stuff listed here like staking rewards, uh, mining, similar activities, digital assets being received as a result of a hard fork. So the level of detail that's being provided in this draft document stands out to me as notable. I don't know. I'd have to do a version compare to see if staking rewards was something that had been previously discussed. But the idea that this level of specificity is now working its way into U.S. tax law is notable, interesting, maybe a bit of that road to boring that we've been talking about a lot recently, right? Maybe the, the integration of this as just any other asset class that U.S. taxpayers have to account for with a degree of specificity that has previously been undefined. I think it's obviously going to be a bit painful getting toward that state of clarity, but maybe this is indeed a step in the right direction where each of these different flavors of digital asset gets a bit more specific treatment under current tax code. One would hope at least. Wendy, I'm tossing it to you. The last thing I want to say on this is recently it was reported that an NF that a home was sold as an NFT or tokenized as an NFT and sold, I believe it was for $175,000. And if that is sold, like let's say you purchase a home, a, a physical property, but you're purchasing it as an NFT to showcase that you have the ownership, how is that going to be taxed or how does that fit into this regulation? That's my only kind of point I wanted to leave at the end because I feel like things are going to progress and change as the industry matures with NFTs. And I think the IRS, if they just put this out and they just say, hey, we're taxing them as stable coins, it's going to leave up a lot of problems in the future. I want to know where homes are being sold for $175,000. I want to go there. <laughs> in BFE. <laughs> All right. Not Canada. All right. We're going to... We're gonna... Not not in Toronto, that's for sure. We're going to take a, a look at today's crypto regulation headlines. 
The State of Crypto is presented by Tron, connecting the world to the power of cryptocurrency. All right. JP Morgan has appointed Aaron Iovine as head of crypto regulatory policy, a newly created role at the firm. This is according to a Bloomberg report. Iovine spent eight months as head of policy and regulatory affairs at crypto lender Celsius Network, which has since filed for bankruptcy protection. JP Morgan is hoping to expand its digital asset regulatory scope. So perhaps he'll be focusing his efforts there. Wendy, I got to throw it to you with that cynical laugh. What do you think? I can't deal with what's happening in the real world. Like, are we in a matrix? Is this is this real life? Like, am I really here? Did I just hear everything you just said? Is this a real story? Like, it's real. I am not pranking you. You are not on punked. It's real. All I have to say is, apparently, you can do terrible things and get and still get high paying jobs in the biggest. Ponzi scheme in the United States, which is our current banking system. And that's all I have to say about that. I'll pick it up. This is a really funny headline. Just, you know, bring our Wednesday up to speed. And I think it sort of makes sense. And you're actually going to see more of these happening. And I think that might be like a take that most people are not ready for. But we see this in traditional banking all the time, right? All the cronies and felons of 08, where did they go? They went right back in the door after waiting a little bit. Sometimes they went back into the government. Sometimes they went right back to Wall Street. Sometimes it took a little vacation and then went right back to their job. And the reason for that is because they have connections. And I don't think that's going to change. I think here we just have a little stark, brutal reality. The fact that he left his position only in September and is already at JP Morgan tells you a little bit how quick the door was open for him there. Maybe he was talking throughout all the summer about changing jobs and moving from Celsius over to JP Morgan. But I think that's the reality of a lot of these positions, right? It's based on connections, it's based on previous experience, even if the experience of the previous firm was not stellar. And I do think that is probably worth noting in the story, just in all fairness. Like Celsius was pretty slimy, but it's a very large organization. So you don't quite know about every single person within that firm. That being said, it's an interesting move for JP Morgan, which has long derided any sort of digital assets. And they go and pick up someone from Celsius, which was little too bullish on digital assets. So not a crazy story to me, but one I think we're going to see much more often as a lot of these firms go belly up and then traditional finance places are looking for new heads to fill their seats. Zach, up to you. Hey man, Jamie Dimon, he's going to come around. The Jamie is just going to, just going to, he's going to capitulate. I can, I can see it. I can feel it. I can read between the lines here. Hey, this is a newly created role. Okay. This is executive director for digital assets regulatory policy confirmed as a new role within the JP Morgan organization. So the fact that they're staffing up on that level of specificity, like what? They're lobbying? Maybe they're lobbying against it, actually. Maybe this is policy to lobby against crypto favorable regulations in DC. So oh, I'm going to hold, I'm, actually, I take it back. We'll see though. But they're thinking about it a bit more cogently. And they're thinking about it. How do we staff of our team? We've got to have a regulatory expert. We've got to have this person on board. The Celsius connection is funny. It really is funny. But um, interesting to me that JP Morgan is flushing out its digital asset team uh, with these new and pretty high ranking roles. I'm tossing it to Jen. I do want to note that Coindesk reached out to JP Morgan for comment and they 
did not respond. I think it's just super funny. For our audience, I just want to add that, you know, Jamie Dimon is back and forth on crypto. He's called it a Ponzi scheme, but he does say that he believes in blockchain technology. So it seems like he is a supporter of crypto when it makes sense for him. And the bank, uh, Will, I saw your hand go up, so I'll give it to you for last thoughts. Yeah, last thought here is like, congrats for Aaron to get through all this, right? Like, imagine having Celsius on your, your transcript, your resume, and like landing a job at JP Morgan. That's actually pretty impressive. So, well, shout out to him for nailing that one. But I'll leave it there. We can head off to break. Hell yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we are going to talk about Terra's four-year plan to revive the Luna ecosystem. But first, let's get a little look at what you're missing at Coindesk's Ideas Summit in New York City. Arbol CEO Sid Jaw explains the inherent problem he sees within the insurance industry and why that sector is ripe for disruption. So you have increasing amounts of losses especially as larger and larger populations live in vulnerable areas like coastal areas, wildfire areas. But at the same time, over half of these damages are not covered by insurance. So if you imagine what it's like to have a random event come and pretty much destroy your livelihood and there's no way to recover if you're not covered by insurance. And what's, why is that? Why is the insurance industry unable to meet this challenge? Well, their models are highly antiquated. You are waiting for an adjuster to come assess the damage in a subjective manner. In the case of uh, you know, hurricanes, that can take three, four, five years. You have frequently clients go bankrupt while waiting for an insurance check. Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which until now has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some Zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. And welcome back to the hash. Luna's back, baby. It's time to talk about Luna again. They're floating this new idea 
for a four-year runway for the project, including a lot of token allocations to different projects if they pass audits in order to bring Luna back from the ashes. This, of course, is just a developer note. We don't really know if it's going to pass yet. It's an idea to issue new tokens from the Luna ecosystem into new developers, get people to you know, start building on Luna once again. Uh, it's important because, well, Luna was a huge chain before everything blew up. There was a lot of different applications, not just Terra, the stablecoin that went belly up, but there's a whole different ecosystem out there for a lot of Luna projects. And most of those projects moved on to different chains like Solana or Ethereum. And I think a lot of those Luna developers want their friends to come back. So they're issuing new tokens in hopes of bringing back the party once again. Jen, I want to throw the story down to you, get your take on it. Yeah, so much like the Celsius story, when I read this story, I thought, you know, does Luna have a stain that it can't get rid of? Like, are we going to remember what happened in four years' time or or are people going to adopt Luna again? I think it's really interesting that they've outlined all of these developer incentives because there's every layer one, every project, every ecosystem has a developer incentive out there. And there's going to be a lot of competition. And I don't know if now is the right time, but I could be proven wrong. I didn't think that Celsius executives were going to be hired by major banks. And here we are. So I don't really know what to make about, of this story. If I was a developer, I, I would feel, you know, maybe I would go with a different project given the state of the ecosystem, given the state of the name and the brand, it's going to be harder to get users to trust in Luna again. But I'm not a developer. Wendy, what do you think? I actually think that they do have a chance. From what I know, I believe that the community kind of took over. I think it was Luna Classic. And I'm seeing a lot of chatter about them on crypto Twitter. And anytime I do altcoin requests on the live stream on Sunday... I always get people, they're like, chart this, chart this, chart this. And I'm like, ah, no, like, I think that this is bad. You shouldn't be looking at this, but people love it. So I think if they are able to do things the correct way, um, if they're able to allow the community to have a say, that just goes to show the power of decentralization and utilizing community power. Yeah, there is that one part of the story that I thought was really interesting that they've proposed that it will be run by a community elected committee and reevaluated every 12 months. And I think, you know, that contributes again to rebuilding the trust. So a little counterpoint against my original argument. It could come back. I mean, stranger things have happened, right? There's new layer ones that are being launched as we speak. You know, we talked about Aptos yesterday, right? They're saying, hey, let's build another greenfield on which projects can develop their very cool buildings that people will come and use. That's what dApps really are. And they sit on top of these blockchains that have different sort of pipes that make them better or worse. So it could come back. I typically think people are pretty infatuated with the shiny new thing. I think there's a lot of shiny new thing syndrome in crypto. So that sort of works against um, the chances of the Terra blockchain coming back in a meaningful way. But blockchains kind of like tend to always live on. There's a huge long tail of assets and chains that um, are less discussed, but are still out there. So if that if it ultimately comes back in some form, more power to them. Um, the Terra blockchain before it imploded was cool. They had a great wallet. Uh, they had a great functionality. There was cool, fast things that could, that could happen on that network. There were some protocols that were interesting in terms of synthetic uh, equities. There was all sorts of stuff on there that was cool. So if they can bring that back to some form of its uh, former self, then that's great. But again, I think you know that they're facing significant headwinds, right? There's new chains. There's bigger chains that are sort of asserting their dominance. And so if they can sort of, again, chip into that market share... TBD. We'll have to see. I saw Will's hand tossing it to him. Okay, I got to bring it down, guys. This is way too much hopium for a Wednesday morning. Let's not do that. There is no <laughs> chance that this chain is coming back 
in the next five years. If only if Do Kwan is given $10 billion back from whatever he took away from the community and somehow does not go to Interpol. Okay. That's the only way that this chain is ever going to come <laughs> back. It is completely dead. And Zach, just like you said right there, right? Everyone wants the shiny new thing. We saw Aptos launch yesterday. No one even cared about that that much, right? They didn't have a great launch. They had some problems with it. And everyone's like, okay, I don't care anymore. And it, that's what happens. You have one chance to show off on crypto Twitter and for your market to explode. Otherwise, you're gone. There's no 2.0. There's no second chances. There is this long tail. Yes, but that long tail is for pennies. It doesn't really mean anything. I think that's the beauty of Bitcoin and Ethereum is they actually broke past that. I don't think any other chain is really going to have that moment, especially Terra Luna. I just don't see it happening. Pushing back there, but I'll throw it up to you, Wendy. Thank you so much, Walton Chain. I won. Just kidding. Um, one of the things that I think was really funny about like the whole Terra Luna thing is I think it was for Christmas or my birthday, my team bought me one of the domain names for that ecosystem. And unfortunately, I don't know if it's usable or not. So yay, maybe there's hope and I can use that for I have no idea what. <laughs> Wendy O dot Luna. That'd be, that'd be sweet. Um, all right, let's change gears. Let's talk about some other stuff. Let's do more DeFi. Let's do some more DeFi things. DeFi, CeFi, intersections, tensions even. We saw Binance delegate a bunch of uni tokens uh, to its wallet. So now they can participate in governance decisions over at Uniswap, which is the largest uh, DEX in the space. Uh, this is potentially interesting. Hayden Adams, the founder of uh, the Uniswap protocol, tweeted this out and said, hey, this is a kind of interesting situation. We don't really know how Binance intends to act here. And yo, CZ, can you share more? I don't think CZ has responded yet, but it's interesting to see these conversations unfold. Binance now becomes the second largest behind A16Z, big old VC with lots of uni bags. So the fact that there are big entities at play here on these DAOs is not news. The idea that there is some suggested skepticism about Binance's role. Kind of odd, but interesting to talk about DAO governance and some of the tensions therein. I'm going to throw it to Jen for this one, for her thoughts on Uniswap. Yeah, so I'm going to attempt to break down how this works. So token holders can delegate their tokens to a wallet that can then vote on their behalf. And in this case, Binance delegated to their own wallet. And Uniswap does is trying to figure out if there is some ill intent behind it. I know I've said this on the show before, but it really feels like at instances, we are replicating the problems that we are trying to solve. The whole point of DAOs and DAO governance is to have a level playing field, right? But then we have these big actors, they're big actors, they're big decision makers, they're either individuals or entities who come in and, and gain all this voting power. It's, it's really kind of funny to read and troubling that the two largest token holders here, the two largest entities with voting power are A16Z and Binance. But this is a problem that the DAO ecosystem is tackling on a greater scale. I, this isn't original to Uniswap. It's happening. I think if you go and you take a look at DAO governance across the board, you'll see that there are a handful of wallets who own the voting power. And if you do a little bit of digging, you will see that they are the people who hold power in the traditional world. So this isn't original. Um, it is a problem that we'll have to solve. And it is a problem that has existed, you know, even before DAOs existed. So the, I don't, that was a lukewarm take, I know. But Wendy, what do you think? But isn't the problem, didn't the problem start from the people that decided to create the DAOs in that manner to where the people with the largest amount of tokens had the largest amount of voting power? 
So I don't necessarily know. I don't want to blame Binance. I don't want to blame anybody else who's got a lot of tokens that hold a lot of voting power because they're just kind of taking advantage of the current system. So I really think that we're going to have to see DAOs step up in the future and change the way that the DAO is run so that it is, in fact, a level playing field. I'll take the last thought on this one. Hayden Adams had some tweets about it as well. That is notable. Hayden Adams, of course, the inventor of the Uniswap protocol, saying that Binance technically doesn't own these tokens, so it's a little dubious. And like, there's some questions around like how they're going to use the tokens that they've put into this platform. Of course, like whoever owns the tokens and has put them onto Binance would be like the rightful person to delegate. But since Binance controls the co- the wallet itself, they can delegate the tokens how they want. And then Hayden Adams actually reached out to CZ on Twitter. So we'll see if this develops anymore. My mind's eye, this is something that's going to happen more and more. Like there's a lot of centralized exchanges out there with a lot of tokens on them. And then they're supposed to interact with these DeFi wallets and these DeFi applications that often have DAOs incorporated with them. I think you're going to see a mixture of CDFI, which is centralized decentralized finance, fun little word there, and then decentralized finance interacting together more and more. Because these two networks, as much as we'd like to say they're different, we like to say centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges are different. There's a lot of crossover, so we'll see more and more of this. But I'll throw it to Zach as we wrap up. I'll wrap this thing. Well said, Will. Let's shut it down. That was the show today. Thanks for being here. This is The Hash. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.